You can't keep jumping that high, man. Says who? Can't make posters off Miss Dunks. Says who? You can't put a small city on the map. Says who? You win a title. Says who? Yeah, says who? People are saying you can't keep this up. Says who? Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. Ty Smith Sr. is out hunting in Kansas. So it's just Brantley and I today. Brantley, welcome Wait, to the pod. Ty's not dialing in <laughs> from the deer stand? He made an excuse about service, and I'm not buying it. Yeah, that's personally. so lame. It's just because um, he hasn't done his deep analytics. That's right. Um, well, it's Thanksgiving week here on the Grizzden Pod, but we're actually going to start by discussing uh, Grizzmas, if you will. We have a very special giveaway going on in a new collection on grizzden.com that we are just absolutely pumped about. Um, it is a Merry Christmas collection. We're also doing a Black Friday slash Cyber Monday sale, 12% off Cause any we got product. Because we got 12. 12% off any product on the store through Monday. You go to grizzden.com to get that code. And uh, we'll be doing a give giveaway on our social media platforms uh, starting when you're listening to this, uh, which will be Wednesday morning. So happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. We have some fun stuff going on here at the Grizzden Pod. Uh, the Grizzlies also played an extremely exciting game last night against the Utah Jazz. Mm. And we're going to get into that here shortly. But first, um, let's let's look at where the Grizzlies are right now, just in terms of, of their seeds. Seed in the West... Uh, they're nine and eight, over five hundred. Uh, sixth in the West, offensive rating is at a one ten point seven, which is good for ninth in the league. Their defensive rating is one fifteen point six, which is last in the league. So their net rating is negative. It's a negative four point nine, which is twenty fifth in the league. And their point differential is about negative four point eight. And if you don't know what all those numbers mean, essentially the way that the NBA um, tracks offense and defense and ranks these teams is uh, you take uh, offense, basically points scored per 100 possessions, and it kind of equalizes um, every team in that way, and you can kind of see how many points do they score in 100 possessions, how many points do they allow in 100 possessions, and then point differential is essentially, you know, how many points did I win by, how many points did I lose by. We add that up throughout the season. If you're in a negative point differential – it really says more about your team sometimes than record. And right now, the Grizzlies are 25th in point differential. And so what that tells us, and we're going to get into all of this, but, you know, we have been, we've been, when we lose, we lose hard. And when we win, it is very close, typically, unless we play the Houston Rockets. Now, Brantley, let's start with Utah. Um, unbelievably thrilling game last, I mean, the Warriors and Utah were kind of the two games of the year, I would say. Um, 
what stuck out to you the most about how, especially the finish, I would say, in the fourth quarter? What was what was the big takeaway for you in that game? Even though I, I, the game was, was relatively close the entire time, you know, through a couple different, you know, just standard NBA runs, I guess you would say, and you sort of teed it up from the beginning, it just is very clear, I think, this te- with this team – within the first quarter, you can just tell if it's going to be worth watching. And whenever I sort of initially turned the game on, I think you could just tell, okay, we're bringing it. We remember that we lost these guys in the playoffs. You've got, you know, some emotion uh, very clearly and some, you know, we'll call some relational scar tissue between various players. And um, we were aggressive out of the gate. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking at a very high level. And then we obviously ended the game where I'm not necessarily sure that this is a stat that I love that w- between three players scored almost 75% of our entire points between Bain, Jaron, and Ja. You know, maybe that's a recipe for success. I'm not exactly sure. A lot of that is probably even just dependent on the fact that we didn't have Dylan or um, Melton who normally um, – you know, would, would diminish that overall percentage basis. But, you know, for, for the young core to come out on the road to get a W like that in the way that they did, and just, you know, I'm sure we'll go into, to, to trip here in just a second and really dive into sort of the slow start that he had even outside of the arc in that game and him just sort of sticking with it. Um, I just, he, he really needed a game like that. I think to where he was able to maybe have a tail of two halves, if you will, um, particularly from just his, you know, three point shooting percentage and carrying us sort of towards the end with, you know, really both sides of the ball just being magnificent. I would say it was really the first time I would ever even come close to using that term for with him this year. So that's sort of just like my principal heuristic takeaways before we maybe d- dig into some of the specifics. Yeah, I think the story was definitely Jaron by the end. Desmond Bain was the one who, if you watch the first half, I mean, he was keeping the Grizzlies in it with his shooting. Uh, he is career high, 28 points, joined with 32. And it's so funny to think, you know, the two biggest, I would say, highlights of the game were really Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson and yet our high scorer John Morant just carrying us through seven assists two steals I mean just solid all around and uh yeah Bain I just wanted to highlight him for the first half give him a shout out for this career high I mean when he's shooting like that um, especially after a slump that he had kind of gone through this mini slump in the last few games. And then Jaron is the most engaged I've really seen him ever. I mean, ever as a Grizzly on both ends. Every every switch he was, uh, especially there was a possess- two possessions defensively that really stuck out to me. The first was the block on Rudy Gobert when not only... Jaron, we've talked about it on this podcast, one thing that he tends to do is just really get close to to the body of whoever's going near the rim, and sometimes he gets bad foul calls on him um, in that way. But this time he was super smart with how he blocked the shot to where it it wasn't aggressive. He didn't slap down necessarily, but he tipped it actually slightly down, but it hit off Gobert, Grizzlies ball late in the fourth. Like huge, huge. 
And then the second time was when Donovan Mitchell, who has burned the Grizzlies in the past, had an ISO where he got Jaron on a switch. And uh, Jaron knocked the ball away, ended up bouncing to Ja. Ja got credited for the steal. Um, but it was really Jaron who, who knocked it away. And then, of course, at the very end, I mean, the shot uh, that really buried the Jazz. And it's just so nice to see. I mean, we talked about how uh, Jaron is a guy who you look at a lot of lineup data and you see that he shows up in some of the more positive lineups. It's because of his defensive impact. But we needed a moment where he just looked and it felt like he uh, belonged in you know the game at the very end. Well, you mentioned something. I'm just curious to get your intuition on this. Why do you think that this game in particular – based on what's happened maybe building up to this game or just Utah in general uh, that made it seem like – because I agree with you that this was uh, his most engaged game. I think part of it was the – I think the team in general had to do with it. There was a report of uh, a meeting that they had together right after Minnesota, which was a 43-point loss. Uh, two nights ago. Not good, Bob. No, and it, it really was a game where um, you saw a lack of engagement from pretty much every player. And I think that um, was a shot in the arm just for the team. Um, and then just with, I think Jaron too, uh, ironically enough, his two best defensive performances, I would say, this season, one have come from uh, against Nikola Jokic, former MVP of last year, and uh, last night against Rudy Gobert. So it's almost as if he, you can see a little bit of Marcus Gasol uh, where yeah, you know he gets up for the big games. And especially, I mean, you see too, I think it has to do with his minutes. Mm. And uh, he, anytime that he plays below 30 minutes, you'll see that correlate to the result. And, and to last night, Taylor Jenkins played him above 30 minutes because he, if you're a three point shooter, just think about it. I mean, if you go, um, let's say, O for your first five, that doesn't mean that you're going, you're one for five. It doesn't mean that you're going to continue that percentage. It's, it's more of a volume game, especially with these three-point shooters who shoot a lot. So, I mean, that's part of it, too, is just getting the minutes and getting the shots. They're going to fall for him. So, that was my kind of feel of it. Do you know our record when Jaron plays 30 minutes or more? Who? Um I don't know how many times it's happened, but I gotta say it's uh, probably like eighty percent win. We're six and one, Whew. with that one loss being to Charlotte. Yeah, and which that was, Charlotte was a weird game. It was a very weird game. Um, see, yeah, that's super important, super important for this team. I mean, it's and it's not necessarily. I don't think it has to ne- do all all because of like fouls. I mean, he hasn't had a severe struggle with that. Uh, I think, I I don't really know. I mean, that's a great question for Taylor Jenkins. I mean, you, you know that they're looking at this and they're seeing it. So it's almost as if, and I left out the Laker game. Um, or I'm sorry, the, 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 um, Clippers game in that stat, by the way, when he played 29 minutes and and 30 seconds, basically, which was another win. Well, there you go. So if you, if, you, if you include that one, the next game against the Lakers, he played 27 minutes and all the way down, we have two wins. Yeah. I think, too, I mean, I, I'm interested in this, Brantley, just from 
your perspective. Um, there is a Jaron is one of those polarizing players on the team, just in terms of I feel like the variability of fans' reaction on a game to game basis. Why is he different than other players? Let's say even okay, so Bain is one that mm. I feel like sort of has this unconditional sort of support from the fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this elite skill that we know is going to be there. And even when he struggles, I mean, I don't know. What do you think is the reason why Jaron is such this kind of high polarization type of figure for fans? Well, this is sort of obvious, I think. But I think it just starts because he you know, is the, is senior in the sense of having quote unquote one more year in the league than Ja, and he was drafted fourth. So there's a different expectation, I think, from a fan perspective, just intuitionally, that you sort of expect Trip to be able to carry a team at times, and that has not been the case this year in any game except for last night, honestly. I mean, last night was the first time that I felt like at moments, I mean, Ja was playing spectacularly and Tripp was carrying us on both ends of the floor and that's why we were able to best on the home court one of the best teams, a healthy team, by the way, a healthy Jazz team on the road um, with an unhealthy Grizz team. And, you know... I like to say, because I, I, this is not just my hypothesis, I believe this to be the case. Memphis is a basketball town where we know basketball here. That doesn't mean that necessarily by osmosis that I know basketball. Um, but I just I think that the fans here get that, hey, this kid has talent and he was a fourth pick for a reason and we we want him I would like to say from a from a position of positivity to to reach a ceiling here. And it we we just we've seen we've seen glimpses of it. We've seen moments where hey, we think it could happen. We see why he could have this and he, you know, gets this sort of I would say romanticized term right now attached to him as being a unicorn. He hasn't demonstrated that consistently, although his stats, I think, show the vision for it. And um, I'll just sort of say, like, the stats behind this this year, one of the things that I dug into, and look, points aren't necessarily the best way to look at this. There's lots – if someone who had more time – and wanted to dig in on an advanced analytics basis, they would do better than this than just points. But I was basically saying, like, if you took the three categories of what's happened to us this year, where we've had, I would say, really bad losses versus just sort of regular losses and then our wins, what sort of happened? And I, I did that because, in my opinion, those bad losses, my initial intuition was like, well, our best player was probably having a down night. We needed someone else to step up. Did we get it, and who would it be coming from? Because this thus far we haven't had Dylan, which we can talk about that later. As I'm a you know obviously a hater on that on him in the past, but we we've needed him in some of those games to give us an emotional lift when when that burden has solely been on Ja, and honestly that has been that has been Jaron's opportunity to pick it up. And what I would say is that if you look in those bad losses. And we're basically Ja is scoring around five points less than his season average. So he's scoring 
those there's um, there's seven or six of those bad losses: Miami, Washington, Charlotte, Phoenix, New Orleans, Minnesota. And Ja had two games where he scored 11 points. He actually had a 32 point game, um, which was uh, maybe his fourth or fifth highest of the year. Um, but that whole average is out to where he's scoring around 20 points per game in those losses versus his 25 for the season. Jaron is had a four point game in one of those nights against New Orleans. He had an eight point game against Miami. He had a 12 and a 13 versus then two 19s against Charlotte and Phoenix. And like, my point is with that whole emotion, I think it's sort of valid, meaning like Jaws having an off night. Now, the whole team was too in a lot of those games. Like, it's not just Jaron's fault, but for a true number four overall pick, number two, you know, thinking that he could be the second best player, I think we would want him to step up and do something different, maybe have a better outing than what he historically did. And we were used to that in the grit and grind era. If if Conley was having a bad night, well, hopefully Gasol would pick it up. Or if Zebo is having a down night, Conley would pick us back up. And maybe the averages, you know, over time sort of hit their uh, their their season long trajectory. But we had nights where we would pick those things back up. And I, I would just say this: the last thing I was looking at in sort of that holistic average was like was Bain picking us up. Um, in those scenarios too, like where he was sort of thrust into being our third overall scorer early in the season where honestly, if you would put that on a 30th overall pick, you're sort of crazy. Yeah. And that's amazing that he's our third overall, he's our third best scorer and his sort of ceiling and floor mirrors a little bit of Jaron's to be honest with you. So I'm saying that because it was very interesting that like we have put the emotion from a fan perspective on Jaron, honestly, the the performance in those bad losses is just the same as Jaron's, but because I think the expectation is a little bit different. Bain's his second year, and he wasn't the number four overall pick. He just has different expectations. I think the price tag, too, um, when you add yeah. the contract in, it, it, it automatically gives, and I mentioned this in our last episode with Sean Coleman. I mean, once you have that anchoring for fans, it's like all of a sudden – you have the leverage as a fan you need to then like put it back in the player's face when they don't perform if you don't think they perform up to that contract. And so and Jaron too, that's the thing is, you know, we're the the team is gonna eventually ask him to do a whole lot. I mean, he has a big burden on him um now uh from an expectation standpoint, uh, because he now, you know, there's a lot of great bigs right now in the league that he's going to end up having the assignment at the end of fourth quarters to guard and then expecting him to come down and also produce um, as the second, you know, you, sh- you could say leading offensive scorer. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a big ask, and he, he came through last night, um, and you'd love to see the impact when he when he does because it's just profound for this team. And did you catch when Brevin, towards the end of the Utah game, um, I can't remember the exact moment. I think it was in the fourth quarter when Jaron hadn't really hit a, a number of his threes yet, but he took Gobert off the dribble from the top of the key, laid it in the bucket, I think put his patented sort of spin oh, yeah. move on him going mm-hmm. you know, from his left to his right, finished. And Brevin just hit it perfectly. It was like that. that's why you play him at the five. Totally. We need him to totally. do that. That aggressiveness. Because fives cannot hang with that. He's got to have That's that. what we want. Yeah. Anytime Jaron scores around the basket, uh, 
that's what I personally am most excited to see because we know he's going to shoot well um, from behind the arc. We know what he can bring on the defensive end. But that scoring around the basket, I mean, that's the third element which can bring him over the top, in my opinion. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, we've talked a lot about Jaron and Utah in this first little bit. But let's look uh, holistically at where the Grizzlies stand. They are fortunate this year to be in the Western Conference because uh, right now, um, I'm, I believe, I might be mistaken, but they went essentially from like the ninth or 10th seed up to the 6th seed in just one night based on what one win and then some losses by other teams. So we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night. So for those who are watch or have the updated standings in front of them, this will not mirror it uh, exactly, but the Warriors are in first, 15 and 2, Suns second, 14 and 3, Jazz third, 11 and 6. It kind of feels like those are the three sure things. I don't know about you if you have any others that you would put in that kind of group up at the top. But that's those are the three teams that I know what I'm going to get from them, um, especially in the regular season. Uh, Clippers, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Blazers, Nuggets, and Lakers, I feel like are kind of in their own <laughs> group, they which, are. I mean, that's a giant. That's a group of six teams where from night to night you could see um, basically the Grizzlies go from a four seed to a nine seed. Yeah. Just if the ball bounces wrong in one matchup. And so the Timberwolves right now, they're reeling a little bit. I mean, they obviously got a big win against us the other night. Um, but they've been super inconsistent. Uh, they're still really young apart from Carl Anthony Towns. And then Thunder Kings, Spurs, Pelicans, and Rockets are just kind of the 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 bottom of the bottom. Uh, we thought the Kings might be a little bit better, but they just fired their coach. So... Um, are there any teams – I'll pose this question to you. Are there any teams in the Clippers, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Blazers, Nuggets, Lakers group that particularly uh, worry you? Are there and are there any teams that you believe that the Grizzlies are actually as currently constructed or a better team uh, from what you've seen so far throughout the league? Where, where do you – you know, if the You're basically saying today, from that five to nine slot – or can we put the Clippers in there? Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's from four to nine. Like, are there? Where would you kind of see like the power rankings of I, those six teams right now? I was about to sound crazy, but I think we're the fourth best team in the West. You think we're up there? I really do. I mean, I, I would think if yeah. healthy, if healthy, mm-hmm. based on what we know today, if nothing, if we don't lose significant, um, what I would say if if Ja and Trip don't get hurt. We need Bain. We need Melton. We need all those guys. Like they're all. I mean, honestly, maybe I have to put Bain now in there because he was seventy five percent of our scoring against the Jazz. But like we we haven't had a massive injury bug hit us. Like even like last year, like when Ja rolled his ankle around this time last year against the Nets. You know, Luca's out for the Mavericks. The Clippers aren't going to get Kawhi back mo- most likely. The Nuggets are reeling with the Michael Porter Jr. news. I just. I may have my Grizz goggles on, but I just sort of think that there's a chance that we could sort of claim that fourth spot if we actually do what we're supposed to do in the next couple of stretches and take care of some business against some some bottom feeders. Yeah, I would say, number one, it's super early. We're almost 25% of the way through the season. A lot can happen. 
Um, I think Luca, who's been hurt, is having an impact on that Mavericks record. I could see that improving when he comes back. That's fair. Um, Nuggets, yeah, with this injury, I mean, Jokic is unbelievable, but it's going to be really difficult if you don't have your your second and third best players uh, playing consistently. We don't know when Jamal Murray is going to be back. Lakers, I have a hard time believing that a LeBron-led team, even though he's old, won't necessarily like get it done. At, at some point, I mean, I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of noise, in my opinion, in the postseason. Um, but I think they might be um, just LeBron. I, I will always give him the benefit of the doubt. So you're saying we're not the fourth best team. No. You're, you're I, talking I, me down. I'm more on the I would love to compete for um, that six range. Like six is my ideal because – not ideal, obviously. I want us to be higher. But I think that realistically – I think we are a sixth seed in this Western Conference, and I would love to see how we we already have two wins against the Clippers, so one more gives us the tie break there. I think that'll be huge. I think we're we're uh, as currently constructed. The Blazers and the Grizzlies are a really good comp, um, and then uh, the Nuggets. I just think that injuries are gonna are gonna bring them ho- below us, and we already have two wins against them. So I mean, one more gets the tie break. So and the Clippers, the Clippers are like. They're one role player injury away from oh being yes. a bottom feeder. They were my uh, one of my best bets to uh, not make the playoffs, which obviously they're overperforming. Over Paul George looks like an All NBA. Their their lot, wins: Thunder, Wolves, Wolves, Hornets, Blazers, Heat, legit, Wolves, Spurs. Okay, you just made me feel so much better. About that, because those are some trash teams. Those are trash. Yeah. Versus what? Who we've gone up against? Arguably, I don't know this with with um you know with data, but I would I would imagine that we have one of the toughest. We had the toughest schedules. first ten games, and that that's the there data backing that. Um, now our next five games are extremely winnable. We have, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you we play. Uh, the Raptors at home tonight, and then we have the Hawks and the Kings at home, and then we go to Toronto, and then we come back and play the Thunder at home. So um, if we are – I don't want to get too um, greedy, but – Got to be 4-1. and one. I feel like 4-1 and one is a very realistic target. Yep, 100%. Um, the Thunder do not want to win. The Kings are <laughs> playing very poorly – and the Raptors are missing OG and Anobi and are in a rebuild. The Hawks, I do not. I would say that that is a toss-up at home. If we were in Atlanta, they would be favored for sure. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it'll hopefully Ja will get up for that one, uh, like he usually does against really good point guards. So. Yeah, it could be really, really interesting. We could look up literally in two weeks, and the Grizzlies could be the four seed in the West, and it would partly be a function of the schedule. But also the defense is such a concern. Um, Opponent shooting luck, it's been well documented on all the Twitters and any podcast you listen to that's Grizzly-centric. They're talking about the defense because it is the worst in the league. Opponents are shooting... Uh, when we lose, they're shooting 48% from the three-point line. See, that's a little bit of uh, wow. uh, bad luck, you could say. But also, 25% mm. into this season, a part of it is the Grizzlies' defense, too. Totally. Um, rotations to open um, open shooters. 
uh, personnel playing Zaire Williams a whole lot, who, by the way, closed the Utah game last night. Good learning opportunity. I'm glad we won despite that. Uh, but it is worrisome. Did you disagree with that rotation move? No. Uh, I would have rather had Kyle Anderson, actually, who started last night and didn't finish. Um, let's have a quick Kyle conversation, actually. Let's have a quick Kyle conversation. Lots of uh, Lots has been made of his role reduction. Hmm. He even had comments before a shoot-around a few games ago that you know, his role was not necessarily clear. I mean, he's you're not going to hear Kyle Anderson be a complainer. Um, that's just not his personality. But he did – it wasn't all positive, which if you're – if you've been following the Grizzlies since this new regime has been here and Jaw has been here, there's not a lot that isn't positive that comes out. There's not a lot of internal um, mm. strife that gets out, I guess you could say. Kyle Anderson is a huge question mark, uh, not necessarily for um, on the court. He is on the court, yes, uh, in terms of being a question mark, but uh, this extension is looming. He expires at the end of this season, and the Grizzlies are going to have to decide whether he is part of their long-term future. And so as podcasters that <laughs> cover the Grizzlies, we also – uh, you know, have to think about this. So where we're currently sitting today, what are your thoughts in regards to Kyle and his fit with the team, both short and long term? Uh, okay, so of the four seasons that he's played with us, this is his second lowest minutes per game that he's averaged thus far. So last season he had the, you know, he – he took a lot of trips minutes and he averaged around 27 minutes per game season before that was 19.9 almost 20 and the season before that was 30 29.8 right now it's 22 i there's a couple of things first my opinion on Kyle before this season was that his ceiling was or his his value was never going to be higher and i I never really thought that he was going to be extended or have long-term value. And I just, maybe we were shopping him and we had no, no big takers for a veteran type team to get something back for him. I sort of feel like his value is tanked a little bit. You've seen his three point percentage and just his ability, uh, like maybe his, per- excuse me, his percentage is okay <laughs> somehow, but the but the just what I would say the the intuitional percentage is not that good. I never, feel, I don't know. I hate saying this, but I just never feel like it's going in anytime he shoots from three. Well, okay. Can we, we talk 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 me off the ledge on on Kyle's three point percentage this year? I think it's incredibly important to note the context in which he's playing, which is a second unit. Which you know to start the season is especially was not good. They had a great stretch uh, in the last five, six games, but he was being put in a position where at times, I mean, there were five-minute stretches, let's say, you know, mid-second quarter, mid-third quarter, when he was the number one option for scoring on the floor. Yeah. In my opinion, that is a coaching mistake. That's a great point. And I think that, looking at percentages without that context can sometimes mislead. But I will say this, 
he is not a guy that is um, is going to succeed regardless of who's around him. I mean, he is a true role player in that way where he really needs to be a part of a unit where he can do his thing without worrying about what's not his thing. Yeah. And so he's a guy that's just, he's <clears throat> going to fill in the cracks of whatever you need him to be. And that's really beneficial on any team. And so I think having, I mean, there's of course a, there's a number that if it's, his contract is above a certain number. I think that Kyle Anderson is not worth it. If it's below a certain threshold, to me, his versatility and just like utility is really hard to come by. And that's, um, you could argue about his his three-point shot because in an offense with John Morant on the floor, you have to be able to hit an open shot because he's going to get them for you. That's right. And so that to me is the 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 counter which can you know really break this theory but i really do still believe that he has a place on this team i just need the coaching staff to put him in the right situation and that could involve you know dylan we haven't seen much of him yet and when melton or it doesn't look like bane's going to come to the bench but if Melton comes to the bench, does that lighten some of the playmaking load off of Kyle where he can kind of do what he does defensively and act more as a secondary playmaker on offense? So <clears throat> I think those are all great counterpoints. And it's easy just to gravitate towards the three. And I, you, you saw me sort of catching myself with real numbers. Like I just it, – the shot has not looked good. No, it hasn't. Last it looks year different. it was different. Last year yeah. it looked great, and it seems like I mean that's Harrington important. has talked about it. Yeah, <clears throat> but I, the 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 rotation piece I think is uh, uh, makes me want to ask you what do you, what do you think is it, is the best thing for the team and for Kyle together for him starting at the four with Jaron at the five? I mean, I I think finishing that or finishing games with that lineup would be best for sure. I don't necessarily believe that your starting unit has to feature this that pairing necessarily. I think Jaron has to take a couple more steps physically, um, and Adams is has been regardless of some of the some of the struggles he has had on both ends of the floor. I still think he's taking some of those that mileage away, which is nice. But uh, I think Kyle is. Uh, a reliable finisher. So that's what I would say. It's just like the closing lineup. I love having Kyle Anderson in there at the four and Jaron at the five. It's one of my favorite pairings. Yeah. That sort of also feels like the only pairing for Kyle to be super successful. That's the only chance. Um, Cause at least, I mean, what were the lineups last year? Just thinking back to it for yourself where you remember like, this is where Kyle worked. Yeah, no, it was mainly in that lineup because you you think about, for instance, Brandon Clark and Kyle are um, are similar in the sense that they're both. Uh, Kyle is kind of a, a a tall, small forward. Brandon is a short, power forward, and so they occupy that same physical space on the floor. But then they both need a stretch five. They both need a shooter because it just gets way too clogged if you play, let's say, Kyle Anderson and, like, Xavier Tillman or Kyle Anderson and Steven Adams together. Like, that's just not 
a recipe for good spacing and it ends up uh, just kind of making your offense really inefficient. And so I think that's, that's, that's the key is, is putting him in a lineup with a shooter at the five. We don't have a lot of those only, we really only have one. And so I will get, I will concede that, that there's just not a ton of flexibility um, there, but I don't know. I mean, if I sat down and thought about it a little bit more, I could probably come up with a couple more. Uh, but yeah, that would be my and, scenario. And the other point that you made was with Zaire closing last night. Yeah. Instead of Kyle, I guess in your opinion, do you think that that's the front office sort of in the coaching staff together saying like, this is, we've got to, we've got to get break the rust off of this kid this year in a season where we don't have a ton of expectations because look, I look at this season. I just said that I think that our ceiling is the four seed and where we're at as a franchise that I think that that could be huge. If you get a four seed by, by some stretch, you have a couple other injuries like what does that do to free agency in a year where we've got a bunch of cap coming up confidence for young kids, you know, building around the, like the momentum of job, which we're about to get into and sort of, you know, a, a global big brands commitment to a Memphis athlete. Those things, I, I think that stuff matters. You're continuing to see a trajectory moving up. And so in some stretch and some argument, if Kyle is your quote unquote better option and Zaire uh, continually proves that he is a worse option at some point, you've got to move away from it to sort of reach your ceiling for this year. Unless if you're sort of saying beginning of the season, we don't really care what our ceiling is. This yeah, year. exactly. And I think that's, that's going to be the disconnect always is between what the front office's vision for the team is and what we as fans kind of see, because I agree. I mean, there is, a lot of great equity that you can build as a player if you have playoff minutes. I mean, there's nothing like playoff experience uh, in your formation as a player. And I think there's a really interesting article that I would encourage everybody to check out by Kevin Pelton from ESPN. And he talked about, um, he did this huge analysis of the last however many years to where he compared rookies that were thrust into situations where they were playing a whole lot of minutes versus rookies who were kind of brought along more kind of like with minutes restrictions and just like slowly. And the the yield from those that played a lot uh, versus those that kind of were brought along slowly was just not that different. Wow. And so there was really interesting data behind. You do not have to necessarily um, – like you can slow play this development and they will – the data is showing you that there is the same percentage chance that they'll end up in the same spot as if you were to, let's say, sacrifice. You know, if 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 Zaire Williams gets switched on to Donovan Mitchell instead of Jaron Jackson last night, it's the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, and so that's right. The risk there um, in playing him, I get it. I mean, there's it's a great point. That's that's exactly I mean, the point. That's that's the point. And so, and it, night to night, the NBA is you never know. I mean. You could have uh, one one tiny little coaching decision is the difference between wins and losses. So um, I think that's important, and I, I don't necessarily. I would rather have Kyle Anderson 
in that spot when it comes to winning time. Now, if Zaire's 29 minutes from last night came in the, you know, let's say most of, you know, the end of the first quarter, a bunch of the second quarter, and some of the third quarter, I'm great. But winning time, I just love to see the guys out there who know how to do it. Yeah. So, okay, you made a great segue into our next big point, which was this Nike ad that just dropped. I mean, unbelievable. (laughs) Sorry, bad joke. (laughs) Says who? I mean, it's going to be the title of this podcast for sure. Uh, The new Ja Morant, it's a 30-second spot all over social media today. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it on a bunch of nationally televised games pretty soon. Um, But, yeah, Brantley, what was your reaction when you saw that ad today drop? Memphis, man. That just is like... I I was honestly just sort of speechless. Because, like, when we started this stupid little thing in your rental house (laughs) in Colonial Acres... Like, we started it because we were like, you know, like, this future is never, the future of this franchise has never had a higher of a ceiling based on, like, what we're seeing with Ja. And, like, we dreamed of, like, these types of moments, I think. And, look, I, I, I'm I an adopted Memphian is sort of like what I call myself. I'm an adopted Grizz fan. I didn't like the Grizzlies until I moved here. And I'm okay admitting that because I moved here in 2010. So it was like the first year of the grit and grind era. And, you know, I kind of lucked into becoming a fan at an awesome time. That's just my Gris fandom story. But like, like to go through all of, all of those battles and then to see like us get this draft pick and this, this kid turn in who's become point Giannis. And then look, Nike doesn't make bets like that often. The like I was trying to explain this to my wife before this. I was like, that means that like they have him in like a trajectory of maybe giving him a shoe. Oh, for sure. I'd be shocked if we don't see it. So can you can you imagine a world where you get Penny two point oh, which is I can't remember who pointed this out on Twitter, which was that like some of the like the artwork behind the jaw ad is the same font from some of the famous penny advertising. That's pretty cool. I didn't see that. All of that connection penny. You've got this celebrity of a basketball player coaching the college team. You've got jaw. Who's the, who's got the most upside of a Memphis athlete since penny in the franchise You've got this huge brand that's backing him. Now, all of a sudden, not just what it does for Ja, you've got players buying into him and seeing it. We've talked about that a couple times, how awesome it is to see other players buying into it. What does that do now for a franchise who can market behind that, who can collaborate, who can do different things? Dude, it just it it is a massive, massive deal. And like the thing that I was... I, don't, I have not fact-checked this. this. So this is Brantley coming from memory, and I really tried. But, like, when you think about Tatum, who's with Jordan, right? I, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think Tatum's – he's with Nike. Look it up. I'm pretty sure he's with right. Jordan. Zion's with Jordan. Um, so well, basically Nike. Right. Um, uh, you've got then, like, Giannis and KD. Like, those are your – and Kyrie, those are your big – who Luca's with Nike as well. He's yeah. technically Jordan. Like 
dare I say that between all of those uh, younger stars, Luca, Zion, Tatum, this is one of the biggest Nike bets that I've seen thus far? I mean, heck yeah. We haven't seen a... I mean, I don't remember seeing a very specific... I mean, I've seen all of those guys in some of the more... Um, uh, NBA markets, NBA and, marketing, yeah. where yeah. you're having just multiple stars in a commercial. Your, you know, whatever your campaign is for the day. Um, but this is very specific. And I, what I notice immediately too is you have the Orpheum in this yep. ad. You've got Beale Street in this ad. Moneybag Yo makes a, an appearance in this ad. And T Morant makes a T Morant <laughs> cutting some hair. Friend uh, of the podcast, you know, he's got a joggle <laughs> shirt. That's right. He, um, <laughs> but it's it's just the the intentionality behind the location is the most encouraging, and it's just so fun. I mean, you start the season with this whole uh, DraftKings just tweeting out where should John Morant go if he won't ever leaves Memphis, and then FanDuel coming back very smartly and saying. Uh, retweet if you think John Morant should stay in Memphis for life and John Morant actually retweets it. I mean, something as small as that will make your heart warm as a fan of a small market team. We actually have that tweet screenshotted on a t-shirt, so <laughs> grizden.com, check it out. Have you seen how that, what do what our, our friends at Ground Study Design say about how that prints out? Oh, I don't know if they've tested it yet. Okay. We have to try. We haven't even marketed that. You're the first uh this audience is the first of hearing about that. Growing up in Memphis, though, yeah. like as a Grizzlies fan, like what did you think? Oh, well, I just thought that there was a, I mean, the way in which we constructed the team, number one, Powell Gasol is not a guy that's necessarily, uh, I don't know, rallying the troops, if you will. Like he was a, he was not the sexiest of stars and he was more so like a, a great number two, which we saw in the Lakers. And then Rudy Gay gets drafted. He is a high-flying athletic guy, but immediately you see like he's he's not on these teams that are winning a whole lot. He's putting up highlights, but he's not this guy who's going to mm-hmm. win. And then you see the way that the grit and grind Grizzlies were cobbled together, and it kind of was this feel-good story because none of them were Flash. None of them, you know, which Flash, too, is sometimes we get mad at some of the, like, I would say like the big market teams that might have a player with flash, but then you dig in and it's like, is he really helping you win? John Morant marries the two. I mean, he's the greatest Grizzly ever, and he's only in his third year, and I don't feel ev- I don't feel bad about saying that at yeah. all. Like it's very easy to say. And so, um, just from I mean, it's so it's so weird. It's so weird seeing Memphis on the scene, and yet Ja makes it feel not weird. Mm. And it makes it feel just earned. Yeah, that's if, right. If anything, I mean, and I so, think he's earned it. Yes, for he's sure. earned it. He's taken a step every year, and like I don't know, like we're a fan podcast, and we're not ashamed to say stuff like that. And like this is one of those moments where you're just like, as a fan, you sit back, you watch the ad forty five times. Like I legit probably just watched it fifteen, so I'm going to exaggerate to forty five. And just, I mean, it's 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 cool to just like have joy in the moment, and just take it in, and also just like be really appreciative for the ride. It's like all of us who have listened or are listening to this at least 
for the most part, can probably go back and remember when we drafted him. For sure. And weren't really sure exactly what we were getting, but we were like, like the, he's a cool kid. He carried a team. He's got some fun highlights. He's got some fun highlights. We don't know what he's going to turn into. And then it just was like, I mean, within three, within two games, he blocks a, a shot against Kyrie. You know? It's like, oh, we got something. Yeah. And now it's like, we really have something. Right. And you've got a big brand who knows what something looks like. Yeah, I mean, the the line in the ad is you can't put a small city on the map, says who, you know, like, and then the, then they immediately pivot to, you know, you, he can't win a title, says who. I mean, that's, that's, says who is a perfect, I mean, props to the, you know, creative team that came up with that because it perfectly encapsulates Memphis too. Yeah. It's just kind of like this intrinsic doubt and then the culture of the city, the reaction is to say like, oh yeah, watch us. And, and the last thing I'm, I'm going to say on this is that it, I, we cannot underscore the importance of the Bucks winning this past year, and the reception nationally that the Bucks got, and that the ratings and what people have said about Giannis and Middleton and Drew winning that together, and how Giannis has sort of stood up as sort of this anti-mega team thing, even though he sort of has like a small market mega team, you know, what, but like he, he it's grew built. up with Middleton. Not, it was built. That's right. Yeah. Not it, ball. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, the, the performance of that from winning as well as what sort of happened in terms of just the average fan enjoying it, I think is sort of a little bit of a shift that may be happening before our eyes in the NBA and, the Grizzlies are what I would argue are on the right side of that right now. 100%. Uh, I'll be first in line for the John Morant cheese. <laughs> oh, sick. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I mean, this is setting up very nicely, too, for him to have an all-star uh, bid. I think that you are already seeing the seeds being planted across the league. I mean – People are coming out to Grizzlies games at away arenas to see Ja. I mean, it's awesome. That never has happened before. There has not been a player that people came to see in opposing arenas like Ja. So, so awesome. Um, we got twelve. I mean, we got it's 12. great. It's great. Um, all right, so let's let's wrap up here with uh, one last thing. There's a really interesting article from John Hollinger that came out. And he essentially was getting us prepared for free agency coming up. And he was ranking the tiers of free agents. And, of course, guys like James Harden were at the top. But the uh, this kind of second, lower tier one, upper tier two, one of the guys he mentioned was Miles Bridges, who is having a true breakout season in Charlotte. He's 23 years old, went to Michigan State. And... Um, has been more of this kind of athlete, versatile, kind of do-everything type of guy and has really uh, just burst on the scene in terms of scoring this year and is really uh, carrying Charlotte. And he mentioned that he could be in line for a max this offseason and there aren't necessarily very many teams that could be in the market for that. And Memphis does not have max cap space yet uh, as it currently stands on their books for next season. There are a couple things that could change that, but 
Uh, Miles Bridges was, or Memphis was proposed by John Hollinger as a team that could benefit from um, signing a guy like Miles Bridges. I, this is way too early to be talking about it, but I just wanted to mention it because it was in Hollinger's article. And when you read that, what was your like initial reaction? You don't have to have like a fully formed thought about this because I don't yet, but what was your gut kind of telling you? Was it exciting uh, to read that or was it more like, oh. Uh, you know, I think we've we've sort of speculated that this offseason would be a season we'd go in and make a bet potentially somewhere. I'm not necessarily sure if Bridges is who I would make a bet on with that type of money. Like, we're talking about more money than Trip is getting, potentially. But Miles has always kind of been this player to me that he, he doesn't play the same way, but he's just kind of reminded me of Zach Levine and, like, a similar height, super athletic dunk contest type player. Could he turn into this, like, you know, awesome number two player on a on a young core? So... Like I know, uh, what I would love is for um, our buddy Ty Smith, who's in Kansas, listening to this, to hear my take on that and prove me right or wrong, and sort of make the comp since he's the biggest Levine f- boy and would love him on our team. But my initial reaction was just like, I don't know if that's where I want to make my bet. Uh, but I don't know. I would have also, I would have more so. I love Miles Bridges. I, I think he would fit really nicely in Memphis yeah. on our team. I think that I almost wish as if he had had a little bit less of a breakout right now, and it could be more of a climb in, kind of go and get somebody. Buy low. Buy, buy low. Maybe maybe buy like in the middle right now. I think a max is certainly a premium. And so I'm not, we're not necessarily in the business of being able to make bets that don't cash, especially those big uh, of bets. And so. I'm a little hesitant, although you could actually talk me into it. Uh, he's a type of guy that I do think the Grizzlies are missing, and they hope Zaire Williams will be. And for Zaire, I mean, it could be a really long time before he gets to that level. And so in the meantime, you kind of have a, a, a Bridges will slot in and be. Um, to me, he is a bet if you are wanting to speed up the timeline and you're realistic about your options. I've always been a Jalen Brown fan. Uh, I don't think that the Grizzlies are going to necessarily be able to trade for a guy like Jalen Brown unless a Jaron Jackson Jr. is in a deal. And I don't see that happening from this front office, to be honest with you. And especially so, after the Utah game. Especially after last night. They are, they've probably scrapped all of their five-year <laughs> plans because of that game last night. Um but anyway, it'll be something interesting to monitor, and it's really important to um, to to keep track of these free agents, especially ones that uh, could you could see fitting really nicely in Memphis. So uh, that was kind of a fun little read, and uh, yeah, I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, there's a million things you can talk about with the Grizzlies. Let's hope Dylan and DeAnthony are back soon. I think Dylan will be be back before. Melton, we can really use Dylan. Um, can I ask you one more question games. on the article? Just interrupt yeah, you. for sure. Do you, because uh, I didn't read it. I just read what you sent us in our private message. Uh, that sounds sketchy, but it's just between me, Will, and Ty. <laughs> do you think that's Hollinger speculating, or do you think he, did it read like he sort of knows we might make a move? No, I think uh, if you read and listen to enough Hollinger, 
he if I wasn't a Grizzlies fan, I would think that he talks about the Grizzlies too much, and I think he, we still have a very special place in his heart. Um, even though it didn't necessarily end great for him, I think he was, I think he was happy to go back into media, and so he kind of remembers those days fondly. I I I think he he um, is always going to be putting uh, large wings in a conversation with Memphis, regardless of who they are. And so okay. I'm taking it with a slight grain of salt, but I do. I mean, he's big enough to where he can't just say whatever he wants and not get criticized. And so I know that it has a special consideration. He's really smart. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't treating it as any sort of, it did not read as any reporting going on. It was more so him just inform uh, speculation or just like this could be a f- more so just like hypothesis fit hypothesis, no speculation at yeah, all. Okay. Um, I just think he really loves Memphis is kind of his fantasy team, I would say. That's so, fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out Hollinger. Shout out Ty. And shout out to everybody listening to this. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, enter our giveaway. And if you don't want to wait for the end of that giveaway, which will be expiring on Cyber Monday, just head on over to grizzden.com. We promise you will not be disappointed. Get your sweatshirts ordered in sooner rather than later so you can rock up at all of your Christmas parties coming up here soon. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, Brantley. Hey, you too. Have a great week. Let's go uh, Let's go four and one in the yeah. next five. I'll see you at the forum tomorrow. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Go Grizzles.